It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The fun forever It's at the end of the episode. That's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, July 18th, and you're listening to episode 529. As always, I am your host, Jason, here today, joined by one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. That is Nicole Amato. Oh, hey. hi, Jason. It's I always so nice to hang out with you. It is, right? I love hanging out with me, but no, um, <laughs> I love hanging out with you. I don't know why, but I always feel like when I announce you, I have to say like, Nicole Amato. I don't actually no, do I that like with it. everybody, but like your name just kind of just sounds like you should be like a pro wrestler or something or, you know, <laughs> some sort of person that should be announced in that way. Um, your oh, personality kind of stands to that as well i feel like (laughs) i have friends who are super into um they're super into uh pro wrestlers and like they watch them all and they're into all the drama and stuff like that and there's one guy his i I can't remember his ding dang name right now but we were outside talking about him after they told me his name and i was like what's his name macabre anderson and that was absolutely not his name But that was just the name that I came up with, and they were like, that's your wrestling name. Yeah, Macabre Anderson. Isn't that, doesn't that sound like a WWE name? It it does, actually, yeah, yeah. Except for that feels almost, like, too subtle. It feels like it'd be, like, Massacre Anderson. (laughs) I'll have to ask them what his real name is, because I never, oh, it's, it's Malachi Black. That can't be real. That's his real name. His real name's Malachi Black. Then his parents were awesome. Or I mean, that's his that's porn. his stage name. Obviously, I'm gonna look that's it up what on I my mean. phone. There's no way so that's that way. A, I don't thunder keys. Given name, you were ju- actually just shared recently uh, today on uh, Facebook or something. You shared a bunch of famous people in their fake names. Oh yeah, that was so good. And these Mark Sinclair. Hey, I'm Mark Sinclair. You know. <laughs> yeah. Who was uh, that? Vin Diesel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Malachi Black's real name is Tom Budgen, B-U-D-G-E-N. That's 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 a little more like it. Might as well be Tom Miller. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, yeah. So, um, so we were saying it's been a while since we've chatted. Yeah. Uh, We've had you on the show, and uh, I'm excited to have you back here so that we can talk about some cool stuff. I'm excited to be uh, back. And I also want to say that um, for anyone listening, if you want some insight into mine and Jason's friendship um, outside of podcasting, our friendship is 99.9% just sharing memes. And it's, it is, it is. There's, there's no purer form of love than that. That's true. In <laughs> fact, I share so many memes with you that my wife, who's never met you now, when I, when I will see a meme, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so good. I have to. She's like, share it with Nicole. And I was like, yep. She's like, she knows. She's, she's like, yeah, that's, she's going to like that one. Uh, even though she doesn't really know you, but it's because, oh my uh, gosh. it's because, uh, she is, uh, aware of the type of humor that you and I both have. And oh I, gosh, I, I send her several memes the, of the type of memes that I send you, but there are just somewhere I'm like, no one's going to get this, but Nicole, or I'm too embarrassed to send this meme to anyone except for Nicole because I know you won't judge me, um, for, uh, um judge you oh my gosh yeah so we do share a lot of memes makes it makes us laugh and now that's good yeah we need Uh, that in today's in today's economy laughter in today's economy oh one of the i think i may have shared this one because somebody shared they said i found the ultimate millennial joke and it was serotonin in this economy that's a good (laughs) one too perfect that's a really good one too. Oh. I saw one that was like a web comic and it was like all the stages of how you react to something cute. And it was mm-hmm. like, you know, the first level of cute and you're like, oh, and then it's like the second level of cute and you're like, mm. and then the third level of cute and the person was vibrating and it just said violence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Describing memes. What great podcast content. It is. It is. Um, well, so yeah, before the show, you and I were talking a bit about Gen Con I know that's coming up in the not too distant future here, uh, less than a month away now. Mm-hmm. Um, as of the time this airs, only a, a couple weeks out, and we're talking about how we're both. Uh, I more so, I'm a little trepidatious about going. I know you are prepared to go because you were like giving me all the lowdown and stuff on on the best things that I can do to make myself feel better about the COVID stuff. Because I'm, I'm I'm 
I'm not great about that, but I'm also just really nervous about the, uh, the large, large group of people that'll be there. And, uh, yeah. So, so there's that. It's a lot. And I think, I think one of the things, um, that might be good is just to like, let the people that you're going to be around know that you're just like, Hey, I may have to dip out unexpectedly at any moment for 10 minutes just to get away from people. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Hey, friends that are listening to this, um, <laughs> Hey, <laughs> this is how I'm telling you. <laughs> um, I will tell you actually, um, when I went to my first Gen Con, uh, I'm not sure when it was, I, I want to say maybe it was 2015. Um, I had a full on panic attack at my first Gen Con and that was the first time I went to an event and had a, um, like too many people related panic mm, attack. Mm-hmm. And I had been to E3. I had been to several different penny arcades. I had been to, you know, I had been to all kinds of events, but Gen Con was, was for me, I go to a lot of video game events. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the things that I think has always comforted me is the video game sounds. You know what I mean? That's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's like soothing and nice, but when you're in a room, and there's 50,000 people and all you hear is the sound of people talking. I don't care for that. I've learned that that's a thing that I don't, that I, I don't yeah. like the sound of the sound of all those people like buzzing. And I had to go outside and like touch some grass. Cause I was like, I can't handle this situation. So mm-hmm. yeah. So Gen Con, Gen Con's always like one of those events where I need to, I frequently need to be in a situation where people aren't touching me. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was funny. Cause I was actually talking to somebody about that recently. Like, um, and I was talking about the funniness of the fact that like, I'm a hugger, right? Like I love to give hugs and get hugs from people, but, uh, but like somebody unexpectedly bumping into me and I just want to set everything on fire. Yep. Like it doesn't literally doesn't matter who it is. It does not matter if there was me, if I could make a clone of me and bump into myself, I would hate myself yeah. uh, in that moment. Um, we went to a concert and somebody was r- like rhythmically hitting me with their bag and I was ready to like leave orbit. I was getting so mad. I was like, stop touching me. <laughs> you're yeah, like, it's going to be hard for you to hit me with that bag and it's stuck <laughs> up your butt. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I get that feeling. Um, I very, very clearly understand that feeling. But uh, but yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'm planning on being there. This is me saying I'm planning on being there. I'm going to do some events and stuff, uh, running some demos of Tiernanag um, for, uh, for Mark uh, and Grand Gamers Guild. Um, because yeah, we want to get some more testing of that done and some demos of that done. Um, but I'm super stoked about that one. So so yeah, we're gonna do that. It's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. Are you gonna be Just... running them in the um that big room where all the games are played? Yeah, not yeah. the vendor hall. Okay, yeah. Right, yeah, and I'm good with that. Like that room is nice. There's tables that space you out between people and stuff. Oh yeah. And the vendor, vendor hall is so hard to yeah. hear and speak and like right. be understood. Yeah. And I can tell you that anyone that sits down across from me and is wearing a mask improperly will either be fixing it or or not being a part of that game. Yeah. Yeah. 100% hands down like you will be booted so uh yeah yeah so hopefully people aren't like that and uh, if I don't have the authority to boot them I sure as heck have the authority to get up and just walk away uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they're that from what I understand from Gen Con last year there were like um people that you could notify there were like you know h like hqs in the different okay. areas where you could like walk up and be like hey the people at x table are not wearing their masks properly and i asked them to put them on and they said no you know what i mean so yeah yep cool thank you good yeah, to know yeah, yeah it's weird to think this but i feel like 2021 for gen con and pax west i feel like that was probably the safest those events were ever going to be because they were so mm-hmm. strict and i feel like yep. As we get away from 2021, weirdly, things are going to start being um, yeah. less strict, and that's going to be depressing. It's crazy, right? It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, we have a topic we're going to talk about, and uh, I'm and excited it's not about COVID. <laughs> I'm excited about this topic um, because you and I were trying to think of a topic, and um, I don't actually. 
know when I thought of the topic. Uh, I think it's because I happen to be doing some specific things, uh, research uh, uh, about um, about a game I'm working on. And when I did that and I was realizing we needed a topic and I was going to be recording with you, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've got like actual experience as a researcher. Uh, and uh, so one of the things we thought, so what we thought we'd talk about tonight is researching games and not just like, I'm going to research games and be a historian about games and talk like this. I don't know why. <laughs> why this would happen. What we're talking about is when just you go to the des- researcher accent, <laughs> when you go to design a game or publish a game or do art for a game or work on a game or all sorts of different things, um, you do research, right? Um, at least you should be. Uh, and I don't mean like always just sitting down and trying to figure out everything about a game or uh, what the market looks like with games. I mean, some people do that and that's great. Um, that's a bit beyond what I'm able to do. Um, but when you go to design, there's just a lot of things that you have the ability to look up and to look through. And we thought we would talk a bit about that process and how, how we would approach it both with games and without games and, um, and see if we could be useful into, helping people, you know, think this through and think about how they're doing these things and maybe point to people to some specific resources that could be useful for that sort of thing. I will admit that I am a trash goblin and do most of my research just by going to Google or asking Siri. Well, I mean, like... Not when I have, like, a serious question. When I'm, like, when I'm, like, you know, how do raccoons have sex? You know what I mean? Like... I'm like, Google, but if I have like a specific question, I mean, you and I had talked about some, you know, specific websites that you can go to for board game right. resources. I, now I'm going to be honest. I specifically, when you said, but I wouldn't do that for serious questions. And then you brought up raccoon sex. I thought you were like that. Like, I'm going to like get a documentary. Maybe that is a serious what? question. I'm going straight to the library. I'm signing into LexisNexis for that one. <laughs> Oh yeah, good old Lexus Nexus. That's uh, where you find out about the raccoons and what they're up to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so okay. So let's um let's kind of break this down. We we we've got a list we're working from. Wait, what? We're working from a list? I know, right? Wait, I, what? It's because since there were so many different things to chat about in here, and there's I mean, there's not a huge list, but uh. I, we just thought it might make sense to have some some things uh, and some ways to uh, actually make sure we don't miss stuff as we're talking through this. So that's what we're going to do. It's going to be wonderful. Um, so I think one of the first things like that I do when I have a game idea, right? Um, for me, it's usually a theme, right? So I'm like, oh, I'm really interested in this in this theme. I would love to design a game with this specific theme. Or for me, a lot of times too, it's a title like, oh, I want to design a game called blah, 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 blah. Um, I don't, but (laughs) if I did, right, then I would, I usually, my first step is that I will go and I will do some Google searching, uh, some Board Game Geek. Honestly, I'll usually search Google and just tag Board Game Geek in that search because the search engine on Board Game Geek is the worst. I mean, the Um, search engine on so many websites is terrible that it's just so much easier to search on Google and then search the name of the website. <laughs> yeah, it really does work well. Yeah. I mean, for you just type blah, 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 BGG, and it'll, it'll just find it for you. Yeah. Um, so um, so this is something that, I, have you done this before when you were working on a new concept to see if like- Oh, absolutely. To see if that name there? existed. Yeah. Um, I remember when, um, when, when we made resistor, I think there was a, I think our lawyer was like, well, there is a resistor video game. And we were like, yeah, it's like an Xbox live arcade game. Like nobody's gonna mistake (laughs) these two things for each other. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's always important to like Google search the title, even like Google search, like, you know, if you're making like a trick taking game about raccoons, like you mm-hmm. could search those exact words and see if that game already exists. And maybe you'd find trash pandas. Um, and maybe you find trash pandas. Exactly. So yeah, no, that is something that I usually start off with too, because I don't want to, I get very excited about new ideas and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole of excitement and work on something 
to find out that like that exact theme is being used in a way that I right or if yeah. there's you know like and I think for me the re- one of the reasons why it's so important is I'm not like is there a game about trading the Mediterranean that also has camels like you know like that's not I'm searching like is there a game about aardvarks having a dance contest and then like there is and then I'm there like oh no there's not I don't think there is, but I mean, now maybe there will be because somebody's going to listen to this and be like, that needs to be a game. Yeah, for um, sure. But so I like to know right away if the idea has been done before. And um, and I can't tell you how many times I've thought I've had like a very unique idea. And there'll be two or three games yeah. that already do something to that effect. Um, I think that the next question you ask yourself then, right, as kind of an aside is, I look at the games like, right. Kind of like when you were like, it's an Xbox live arcade game. Like yeah. I'm not really worried about it. Right. I'll look at the game and say, when was this published? And if it was published before 2000, I don't care. It doesn't right. matter. Right? right. Um, if it was new, like if it was published within the last few years, then usually I would like, then I'd start looking at things like the publisher, the print size, the popularity of it. And obviously the bigger or more popular it is, the less likely I would want to follow that because I I don't want to just be like looking like I'm trying to be like, I'm going to design this game about bird migration patterns because I don't like wingspan. Um, right. (laughs) Uh, whoever is making that dancing aardvark game, by the way, you should call it Hark dancing aardvark. (laughs) Hark dancing aardvarks. Yeah. Do that. I'm here for you. TM, 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 TM. No. Um, Sorry, but, all that time I was trying to think of a word that rhymed with aardvark. I'm useless. Was the best you came up with? Hark, well, it was, I also thought of aardvark dancing in the dark, which would be another good one, right? There was a show on Disney that was called Bizardvark. Bizardvark? Um, right. I, I have no idea what it was about, but I heard that name that's and thought. That's a great name. That's a really good name. What a um, delightful portmanteau. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm sure the show was abysmal. Um, <laughs> anyways. So, so yeah, I, I don't, what are your, do you have thoughts on like, if you find another game in that same vein, like what, what do you do? Um, do you, I mean, or you I, or I would drop it or I would, you know, or change it. You know what I mean? Like if the mechanics are the same, change the mechanics, like give it a different, you know, change something in it that makes it different enough. You know what I mean? Cause games can have the same theme as long as they have different mechanics and mm-hmm. games can have this similar mechanics as long as they have different themes. You know what I mean? So if it's, right, right. you know, if it's something that you're like, Oh crap, this is my exact idea. Like it's hard to not get discouraged. I would say. Right. right. And I've had that happen once or twice and it's uncanny, right? You're like, have I seen this before? Yeah. Like, yeah. How did I, how like is that like you know and you feel really dumb yeah um but like there are games where i'm like i know that i've never seen this before like i don't know how i did that but i mean i i obviously you know people come up with similar ideas right and i would rather know before i put a ton of time into it and have to change it i mean i want to say that it was months after laser writers came out that someone was like hey have you heard of this game and it was techno witches which is like incredibly similar in mm-hmm. piece like in the way that the pieces like connect to laser riders and i was like yo i've literally never heard of this game in my life yeah. and i was like so tempted to just buy a cheap copy of it just to see how it played somebody bought a copy of it and was like oh i'll let you know how it's played and they never did and i'm like oh my god <laughs> is it because it was the same is it the exact same thing and they're like they like unfriended me you know what i mean like yeah. yeah. And that's, I, I, that is a big fear of mine. Right. Which maybe that's silly. Like, especially because like so much of the stuff that I design is like in public. Right. right. So it's like, obviously I would, it would be bad for me to plagiarize stuff because people would figure that out. Um, but I've had people before where I'm like, Oh, I got this game. I'm really excited about it. Have you played this game? And then I'm like, Oh gosh, like this is very, this, it's not the same game, but it's close enough. Yeah. And people are like, Oh, did you, was this inspired by this? Like, no, no, it wasn't. And like, they don't believe me. Oh, I always believe people. When people tell me like, oh, I want to make this game. And I'm like, oh, that is exactly this game. And then they're like, oh my God, I've never even heard of that. And I'm like, I believe you because I own like 600 games and haven't heard of like three times that many. Yeah. Yeah. So I I 
I I would I would always believe you if you told me that. So don't worry. What so that is why I generally do the search. Um so let's let's say let's say that you're like <laughs> okay. Uh this theme doesn't exist or you know like is it isn't a thing like it passes the test. I'm ready to move on. Um, so now, now you want to do some research about your theme, right? Like that's mm -hmm. kind of, for me, that's always the next step. Like what, you know, what do I need to think about with my theme? Like if it's historical or is it like super bizarre and silly? Like I still usually try at that point to do some research on some touch points, like some media touch points. Sure. Uh, and that's something that I've learned about through working with RPG designers. Mm -hmm. um, they're really good about like banana taught me a lot about that of like, what are the media touch points on this? And I was like, what? Like, what do you, Oh, Oh, like, so like basically like thinking about like, what, in, what do you want this game to feel like? Like, what is that? And obviously in RPG, I've never heard of media touch points. What a nice. So sorry if you can yeah. hear me typing listeners. Um, so, so anyways, it's, uh, it, it, that for me was like super duper helpful, um, in me, in the way I started thinking about game design as well, like for board games, because themes are just really important to me. Um, so I think that, you know, if you're, this is probably something you can speak to better, but like, I know, like if you've got like a historical theme, right, you're looking, you're, you're probably going to take a trip to the library possibly to like look at actual books about something, depending on how in depth you want to get. Um, yeah, I've learned a lot of tricks about historical stuff. Like, um, even, even, um, when I was at my job, what'd you say? Wikipedia. <laughs> well, so, you know, my, as you mentioned, so my, my previous job, um, was at, uh, was doing research for a, an economic historian basically. And, um, I would, I would, you know, you know, teachers say, you know, don't use Wikipedia, but here's the thing about Wikipedia you can absolutely use Wikipedia as long as you find the actual source of where that information is from. And Wikipedia has it. So like, yeah, yeah, they do. It's linked right at the bottom of the page. It's linked right at the bottom of the page. So even when we were working on projects, I would often start at Wikipedia and I would just go to the bottom and comb all those footnotes. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes those footnotes led to places like um, the internet archive, which is incredible. Um, yes. There's also a site called, uh, I think it's pronounced Happy Trust, H-A-T-H-I-T-R-U-S-T. And mm -hmm. that has just boatloads of old text that people have scanned and put on there. And it's searchable, which is amazing. Explain a little bit about the Internet Archive, just for people who aren't aware of sure, that. Sure, 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 sure. So the Internet Archive, um, wait, am I using that? Am I using that correctly? Um, is that the... I don't know if you are. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm aware of what you're talking about, but I, I'm bad with you. <laughs> Well, there, I'm trying to remember, um, there was a website that I used for, yes, archive.org. Okay, archive.org has tons of free books. I mean, I used it for books, but it also has like movies, software, music, like all kinds of stuff. And I'm pretty sure that it's all free. You just have to have a, um, you just have to like, you know, make a free account with it. And I use that for a lot of books that I couldn't find see the one of the difficult things is that like as a researcher sometimes I could find books but I couldn't I couldn't search them anywhere so I couldn't like they weren't on Google Books they were like too old to be purchased for a reasonable price used anywhere but right, they weren't right. but they weren't old enough or they were still in copyright so they weren't on Google Books or they weren't on Internet Archive or Hot or Haiti Trust and the the weird thing about COVID was that because so many people were no longer able to go to libraries, a lot of libraries temporarily allowed um, their texts that you could formerly only like access through the that library's website. They were putting them on Haiti Trust so that you could actually access them while you were off campus. Oh, it was wild. It was wild. When COVID hit, I had access to so many more books online than I ever did before. <laughs> it was really cool. But yeah, the Internet Archive is really cool. Um, I actually saw a book on there recently, um, you know, with all of the stuff about Roe versus Wade. Um, sorry, I don't know what's going on. I think somebody's sitting on fireworks outside. I first I thought you like, I don't know if the listeners in there, but I first I thought you put your feet down and like bonked something, but you were so slow. <laughs> So, so just casual about it. About it. Yeah. yeah. Um, my neighborhood's really big on Fourth of July, but um, this is going a little too far. Um, 
but yeah, somebody, you know, the Roe versus Wade thing, there was somebody, somebody made some kind of ridiculous, they, they were saying something ridiculous on the internet. I know that you can hardly imagine that, but what? they, I know they linked to, were a they book. saying it with a lot of confidence and probably misspelled in swear words, <laughs> a lot of so somebody, un- improper use of caps. Somebody linked to a book about, um, you know, because a, Abortion has been around for actually quite a long time. And so somebody linked to a book that was about abortion. It was on the Internet Archive. And I was like, oh, man, yeah, I forgot about the Internet Archive. And I was able to access it without even like, you know, some of the books you can access without even logging in. And yeah, it was Mm -hmm. really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So that's I mean, I'm assuming you can find books about anything, right? They're not just like history books or something like that <laughs> oh yeah you can find books about yeah you can find i mean i was just i was just looking at internet archive on my phone because i was like i sometimes get internet archive mixed up with um uh i'm so sorry about this person setting off fireworks on it's fine it's fine there's nothing um, to do it's so there was something called the ipl the internet public library which i think is now defunct so i always get the two of them mixed up but i'm looking at <laughs> I'm I'm just looking at the Internet Archive on my phone, and there's a there's a section for hentai. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So like I'm looking at I'm looking at uh you know top collections at the archive American libraries audiobooks and poetry, uh, live music archive Canadian libraries, uh, electric sheep movies, and then you keep going to you know, spirituality and religion European libraries. Um, wow. And then, yeah, then you get down here. Oh, there's one that's just called Grateful Dead. Uh, Folk Scanami, a library of books, public library of India. And then, boom, there it is, hentai. Wow, this is, yeah, that's crazy. Boom. I'll have to, I've never actually used this. So now I'm curious to check it out. Yeah, it's pretty um, cool. I mean, like I said, I used it primarily for... Um, books for my for my work because i was reading you know one of the things we were doing was um research on this guy thomas willing which i think i might have talked about on the podcast before and i think you did quite a while ago yeah and there's lots of cool stuff written about him but like a lot of the books are like i said either (laughs) super expensive or you know somehow still in copyright so there's this weird gray area where like you try to get access i remember once on one of the previous books, I think it was the first book we worked on, I had to physically go to a local university's library in order to read this book because I couldn't find it in any of the books near any of the um, libraries near me. Uh huh. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I, I, I enjoy stuff like that to me feels like a um, scavenger hunt or like a puzzle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I enjoy the challenge. That's cool. I hope that answered your question. Sorry. Yes. Yes. No, it did. It did. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> I think that then, at least for me, one of the number one places I do start with is obviously is Googling ideas or in once I find something specific, then if I can, I'll, I'll see if there's anything on Wikipedia so that I can get kind of a quick overview of it. Yeah. Um, and then from there, dig deeper uh, to see like, what do I want to do for, you know, specific, um, you know, pieces of information about that. I, I love uh, Wikipedia. I mean, one of my favorite things sometimes is, you know, I look something up on Wikipedia and then I just kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in that page on Wikipedia and then something's highlighted and I'm like, Oh, what is that? You know, what does that mean? Or, Oh, I want to learn more about this. And then I'm just mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm like six pages deep before I even know what's going on. Something else that I'll look for. Um, if, if I'm trying to figure out like with a game, like a theme or something like not necessarily if it's viable, but like, has it been done successfully before? And like, what did that look like? And so one of the things I'll, I'll Google on there is looking for Kickstarter stuff to find out, like, <laughs> has somebody put up a game about this? Did it do well? Did it do poorly? Um, That's really smart. You know, and in uh, not that like, again, well, we talk about this, you know, when we say like the designers, like you don't have to design games that are marketable, right? Design what you want to design. And I totally, totally agree with that. Um, that said, sometimes, right, sometimes we need to, like, I I want to know, like, when I'm designing a game, a lot of times I want to know, where does that game end up? Like, um, I was talking to uh, Kristen and Tim Devine recently about some projects, and one of the things that they said was, like, 
what is the path to publishing for this game? Like they look at that when they're working on a game, what's the path to publication? Um, and what does that look like? And I loved that because it was a real nice way of saying like, does this, is this going to go somewhere or is this going to just be a big project that doesn't go anywhere? And I think that if you determine, as we said in your last, in the last episode, like if you think about what you want for success for that project, great. Maybe you go to the game crafter actually is another place I just thought of and look at what's for sale there. Yeah. Um, What games are there with that theme? You know, how are other people doing it with the creation of it to make it affordable to print? And we're getting ahead of ourselves, but that's absolutely a resource you could use that wasn't actually on my list because I wasn't thinking about it that way. So. No, that's really smart. I think that's super smart. Yeah. So you've got a theme stuff. Now, now we're going to pretend you haven't thought about mechanics and you want to (laughs) research mechanics. So, um, so I will plug uh, for mechanical inspiration, I will always plug the exact same thing. Uh, I'm going to do it again now because it is the best. And that is Building Blocks of Tabletop Game Design <laughs> by Jeff Engelstein and Isaac Shalev. Yeah. Uh, and the reason I always plug that book is because I I cannot explain to you how much of a resource that book is. Like it lists hundreds of mechanics. Yeah and dissects how they work it tells you it's like it's like the wikipedia of board game mechanics because at the bottom of every mechanic set is a list of games <laughs> that you could go play or research that use that mechanic yeah um and i it's just it's been invaluable to me when it comes to looking for mechanics that might fit uh and then also saying okay, I'm trying to design this type of game. Maybe I, I start with a mechanic and I say, this is the type of mechanic I want to use. I look up what other games are using that and how could I not use it the same way? Right. right. How could I do something different? How can I be clever with this? Yeah. 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 Because those other games weren't clever. <laughs> jerk. Um, you can also go to Board Game Geek and search mechanics. Once again, I would use Google to do that. But, um, uh, you know, looking for that mechanical inspiration, I think... Um, those are two really good places. Can you, are there any other places you would, you would go for that sort of thing other than maybe looking at like your favorite games or something or looking at games that you like and playing games like that? I mean, you, you listed in our list, the BGG mechanics. There's like a list of, there's a list of mechanics on BGG that I think is also really helpful, but I agree with you about the, about, um, Jeff and Isaac's book. That's a, an excellent source. I, I think that, I think that it all comes down to, you know, Part of it is that, um, and this is going to sound, this might sound silly, but like part of it for me has always been, I like to work on games that I enjoy playing. So I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to make a game using mechanics that I don't enjoy because I'm going to have to play test that game a thousand times, you know? Yes. So, I mean, unless you're the kind of person who's just going to, you know, and this isn't, this isn't an incorrect path to take, but unless you're the kind of person who's going to, you know, build a game and immediately pitch it to publishers without doing a ton of your own playtesting, you know, that's, you know, totally viable. But I, mm-hmm. I think that it's important to, you know, make something that you yourself might enjoy. <laughs> right, right, right. That is good. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've heard people say is if they're like, I'm going to make a drafting game or I'm going to make a game with this specific type of mechanic, I'm going to use a rondelle, Right. Um, people love rondelles yeah right then then one of the things they will do is they will specifically go play games that use those same types of systems Mm -hmm. to get ideas of those different types of systems Uh, you can also do uh the josh mills method which is play a couple games you like pick your favorite mechanic from each game and just put them into a single game (laughs) and pretend you came up with something new Um, (laughs) mills mills we got your number but I mean, I can't complain because one of my one of my favorite games to play, honestly, with my family is uh, is Rocky Road a la mode. I was literally just gonna say, didn't he make Rocky Road a la mode? It's right next to me. I he did, love that and you know, so much. you know what two of my favorite games are: Patchwork and Splendor. And you know what that <laughs> game is: Patchwork and Splendor. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not like spoiling it here. He will tell you that. Like he'll like, well, you know. So I really like Patchwork and I really like Splendor. So I, I put these mechanics together from it. Right. I mean, that's. Uh, it's a so it's an excellent way to design games, honestly, to look at games you enjoy, 
take mechanics from multiple games and try and put them together. Be clever with it, like Nicole said earlier, right? I think people also like to subvert mechanics, like traditional mechanics as well. Like there's a game called uh, Miskatonic School for Girls, and uh, oh yeah, mm-hmm. and it's a game where you're actually like you're 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 not building your deck, you're breaking you're 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 building you're like you're basically building other people's decks with garbage, right? You're like Mm -hmm. seeding other people's decks with bad cards, but it's not, so it's not like a deck building game. So it sort of like subverts the idea. And I, God, I just love that. I just love a clever mechanic so much. That's a really clever idea. Yeah, very much so. And that's, I thought you were going to say like a deck destroying game, but it's not even that. It's like a, like. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, an enemy, you're bloating your enemy's decks and it's just, it's just great. Yeah. That's great. That is really great. Um, and then the, the last portion of it that we wanted to go over was researching for, I I called it art inspiration, but I really think it's art and design, um, and kind of like the mood of your game, right? Like what do you want the look to be in general? Um, and Nicole, you pointed out, this is obviously super important if you're doing your own artwork yeah, yeah. and know what you want, but also you may be trying to figure out what you want to give to a graphic designer and say, this is what I'm thinking, you know? And it's also important to give to a publisher, you know, some, I mean, some publishers, yeah. obviously, you know, like exploding kittens doesn't give a crap what you want your game to look like. You know what I mean? Like they have, right. they have a vision and you know, you, right. you have to be comfortable with that concept pitching games to them. But like other companies are very open. You know, when we work with greater than games on laser riders, they were very open to it. And Anthony, mm-hmm. you know, put together mood boards on Pinterest for them and sent them ideas. Uh, one of my favorite stories, which I may have told on this podcast before was that I came home one day and Anthony said, Hey, um, you can either do this. I can either ask you to do this favor for me, or you cannot make fun of me while I do it. And I was like, what is it? And he was like, I need you to look up hot surfer dudes for me. <laughs> And I was like, uh, done, babe. I'm on it. Um, but yeah, I remember one day also I came home and he was researching trapper keepers. He just had a, he just had tabs open of trapper keepers, you know, also for laser riders. And it was just, you know, that 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 game was a lot of fun. We had a lot of um, I want to say we had a lot of creative agency. The artist that they hired, Blood and Chrome, to do the character design was just absolutely out of this world. We could not have asked for a better artist, like. And he was and he was open to like every piece of feedback Anthony had. And Anthony went to school for art. So oh gosh, I would not want to do art for that dude. Right, right. So sometimes, you know, you would think that like getting feedback from somebody who like knew what they were talking about would be a nightmare. And this guy was so open to his ideas and like vi- like vibed with us really well. And like, yeah, it was just it was And that's super yeah. important, right? I mean, like that's um, yeah, but it's, I mean, that's, it's both, I think it can be both good and bad depending on how, how the person accepts it. Right. Of like yeah. the fact that you know what you're talking about and some, some people aren't comfortable with that, that yeah. you know what you're talking about. They would rather, you're just like, I like these colors. Can you do more with these colors? I like fuchsia. Um, one of my, one of my favorite Anthony stories, but when, when it comes to paint, um, is that, you know, to make money, Anthony used to paint apartments and apartment buildings and houses. He used to paint mm-hmm. the insides, you know, when a tenant moved out, he would come in and paint. Mm-hmm. Um, when we moved into this apartment that I am in now, still, um, he was like, oh, they didn't paint. They didn't paint the apartment. They just spot painted. And I was like, how can you tell? And he was like, oh, this, 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 and this. And so when we went to the leasing office that week to like talk mm-hmm. about some stuff, Anthony was like, hey, you guys didn't paint. And the guy was like, yeah, we did. And Anthony like said a bunch of like paint words and the guy instantly was like, you're right. We didn't paint. (laughs) We were like, we know. I was like, Anthony was like, dude, I used to paint buildings like this. Like I know all your tricks. Like I know you didn't paint. (laughs) That's funny. It was really funny. funny. It was really funny. But yeah, it can be difficult when, you know, you're hired professionally to do something and the person that you're doing it for also has a, you know, is also able to speak that language and has a, a level of mastery in that, you know, it can be, mm-hmm. it can be mm-hmm. intimidating. It can be difficult. And sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it does. So I think that, you know, either way, whether you're, that is to say that whether you're crowdfunding or putting it on the game crafter or finding it with your own money or finding a publisher, I think it's still always good to like know what your general vibe 
that you're going for mm-hmm. with the art is going to be. Yep. Yep. And you would suggest it like, you know, Pinterest to do like a mood board of different yeah. ideas you like. Um, obviously you can Google image search the heck out of stuff. Yeah. Um, one of the things that Rob used to do um, that I, I've mentioned, I know I mentioned this before on the show and he's mentioned it too. And I, but I really like it is whenever he'd go to Gen Con or whatever, and people would be giving out like free cards from games, he would collect them all. Um, and this sounds like something Anthony would have done as well. Um, and then he would just go through them whenever he was working on a new game where he needed to do card layout. Mm. He would look for things he liked and things he didn't like. And he said a lot of times it was, you know, oh, yeah, I don't do that. But there were some where he'd be like, oh, this layout is interesting. I wonder if I could use this portion of that uh, when I'm really these cards out. And for somebody like me who doesn't know a lot about it, that is really helpful. Um, and so I'll actually do it, too, just based on games that I have. I mean, I have 200 plus games. It's easy for me to just go bust out a card game and say, oh, like, I like how they've done this in this game or that in that game. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you don't have a lot of games or you don't collect the cards, you can look up games, right, that are doing the same type of things. Right. Um, it's a good way to learn best practices, too, about, like, layout and stuff. But it also is helpful in showing a graphic designer to say, hey, this is kind of what I'm going for. And then you, if you're going to do that, though, I, I would encourage you to be open to the fact that they may tell you why you're wrong right. uh, and why it would be better to do it a different way. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's their job, right? Right. That's where you can really come in handy with the mood board stuff and the, you know, um, I love to provide sample art to say this is the type of thing I'm thinking this is kind of the style I want. And it's one of the reasons actually I've gotten to doing the pitch decks instead of just a quick pitch document, mm-hmm. uh, depending on who I'm pitching to, because it's nice to be able to add a little more flavor, uh, especially when you're doing IP pitching. Mm-hmm. Like it's really nice to be able to put some real artwork in there and kind of manipulate it a bit so that it really speaks to your game. Um, and I feel like it kind of captures the mood of what you're going for better than it might otherwise. Yeah, that makes so, yeah. total sense. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, you're talking about like it's a graphic designer's job and also like, you know, looking at different cards and stuff. And that reminds me that like one of the things Anthony would do to me was I, I, I might say to him, like, he might say, like, you know, do you like this or do you like this better? Like, which way do you like better? Or I would say to him, um, you know, oh, I like the layout of this card or I like how this is. I like how this page in this book is laid out. And I would kind of sometimes be like, can you explain why? Like, can you right, explain? Right. Cause he knew, he knew all the like tricks of like, mm-hmm. you know, how, like, like what the mind thinks when it sees a certain thing. And so he would be like, Oh, well you're drawn to this more because of X, Y, and Z. And you're, this is, re- this repels you because of, you know, A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool that like, I, like, I felt like I had like, you know, it was like, a, it was like, a, it was like a cheat code to understanding art. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have right, to understand right. the art cause I had somebody there who was like, Nah, this is why you're going to like this, you know? Right, and then the other right. thing that I will say too is um, I even think it's good to have an idea of what kind of font you like. Um, yeah, yeah. I was I was, I was, was thinking the same thing. Yes, absolutely correct. Absolutely. I don't know what kind of, what, what sites do you use for fonts? Um, so yeah, if I'm trying to think about that sort of thing, there's a thousand and one fonts. I use that one quite a bit. Um, that one generally uh, you can only use for non-production stuff. Gotcha. Um, but that is still really good for showing a graphic designer or making a prototype that you want to have a certain vibe. Um, or if you're, if you're pitching an IP, right. Uh, you'd be surprised how many times you can go out and find very specific IP related fonts that I won't mention, um, (laughs) that are like, they're exactly from IPs. Like it is, it is a font you've seen in that. And you can put that in your pitch document. It's just a nice touch. You can touch. also do it on sell sheets. You're not yeah, yeah, selling yeah. the sell sheets. No, no. I Yeah, that's yes. Absolutely. Yeah. The only thing, you know, I, I've told publishers, I've actually had publishers say, hey, where did you get this font? I'm like, oh, it's super cool, right? Yeah. Uh, it's from this thing. And they're like, okay, we'll see what I can do. And, um, you know, there was actually one recently where I was working on a project with somebody, not for a board game, but for a different thing. Um, and... Uh, and they were like, hey, where did you get this font? Um, or I, they were like, hey, I see you got this font from this place. Or somebody got the font from this place. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, yeah. 
you know, and they said, do we have a license to do this? And I said, I doubt it. You're uh, like, so heck no. <laughs> let me see what I can do. So I went to the site and for 50 bucks, we, we got a license to use it. And it was that simple. Like, yeah. I mean, it was like, wow, that's easy. Um, to yeah, do Anthony that. bought a bunch on Blambot. Uh, Blambot was his favorite um, mm-hmm. font site. And he did, um, you know, and, and I mean, the good part is, you know, it's a tax. It's it's a it's a company write off. You know what I mean? Because you're, mm-hmm. you know, you you or you're buying it with your, you know, company funds. So it's a it's, yep, a, yep. it's a really cool, creative, interesting thing that you can, you know, use your funds on that you can that that is a gift that keeps on giving. You know. Right. Right. And there's also right. graphic designers like Bridget and Delicato who, you know, Bridget yeah. created the typography. Like she did the, I'm pretty sure she did the logo for Favelas. And uh, there's another one. I think Santa Monica she did the font for. There's there's one game that I saw it and I was like, if this isn't a Bridget, if this if Bridget didn't create this, <laughs> the person who created it definitely used Bridget as inspiration. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, fortunate enough to be uh, working with her. Uh, I mean, I haven't got to work with her directly, but she is working on a project that I'm on, um, where the publishers got her working on stuff. And uh, that's so wonderful. And it's like when as soon as, uh, actually, it was funny because the publisher had asked myself and someone else, like, "Hey, um, who would you suggest for a graphic designer? I'm I'm looking for a graphic designer for this." And the first person we both mentioned separately was Bridget. Oh, that's wonderful! <laughs> so, I'm so glad to hear like, that. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, she does amazing stuff. Plus, she passes the Nicole test. So, you know, being that she's one of your close friends, that helps too. Um, yeah, she did all the iconography for War Chest. So, like, you know, I mean, she just, like, the way that her brain works and the way that Anthony's brain works, you know, I'm just, like, in awe of them because mm-hmm, I'm, like, mm-hmm. I'm, like, I could never make anything like this. You right, know what right. I mean? Because our brains don't work like that. No, they and that's don't. okay. Because our brains theoretically work in in ways that you know we're broken. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. We're good at other stuff. Um, no self deprecation, yeah. as Bridget would say. No trashy. <laughs> oh, that's great. So um, yeah, so that was the last piece of that. Um, but what I want to do is I want to roll into a pitch of a game that I'm working on. Heck that yeah. I'm doing some type of research on here that we actually didn't even talk about yet. Uh, and I didn't actually mean to not talk about it. It's just not the type of research I would normally do for a game. <laughs> but here we are. So, okay. So this game is is a concept more than an actual game right now. I know what I want the game to do. Um, I know that the game is going to be simple. Uh, the idea for this game is that it will be played with teams uh, in a corporate setting. Um, to try to uh, solve some issues in a really fun and inventive way. So I'm going to just kind of talk through it. If yeah, that's please cool. do. Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. And, and any feedback or thoughts you have would be awesome. Because like I said, uh, I'm trying really hard to figure out exactly what to do um, with this to inspire the most feelings out of it. So, um, so the name of the game right now tentatively is called Sandcastles in the Waves. Um, and the inspiration for this game was I was uh, in Georgia, Tybee Island, Georgia, over Christmas last year. Um, and my kids were building sandcastles on the beach. And um, the tides there are pretty good size. And uh, they misjudged where the tides would come. Mm. Uh, and so inevitably, right? I mean, they're sandcastles, right? They're, they're not permanent. Uh, mm-hmm. They are somewhat ephemeral. That is kind of the whole point, right? <laughs> like, so they built their sandcastles. And and we uh we like built a wall in front of them. We saw the tides coming in, and we like created these like drainage tunnels to mm-hmm. you know help out. Yeah, but still, eventually, eventually, you did some civil engineering. Yeah, we did. We really did. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but eventually, they 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 were done for. Um, and my son or my daughter, honestly, it may have been both of them. I think it was my son that was just like, I just thought it would last longer than that. And I was Aww. like, yeah, you know, buddy. Me too, but... And you're like, buddy, what talk- an important life lesson you've learned here. Right, right. Everything sucks and nothing's permanent. <laughs> um, so, um, but oh what God. I did try to tell him, and you know, and this is kind of where I had this epiphany, was I said, buddy, it, it was about the process, right? You had fun doing it. Uh, you had a good time doing this. And we enjoyed the process. We learned from the process, right? We learned how to build some of these things to protect it. We learned maybe build it back a little farther next time. Uh, but, but overall we, we did this together and it was, it was, uh, it was an experience, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and not all things stay forever and that's okay. Um, 
And that doesn't mean that our time was wasted. And that was when it clicked for me. Uh, and I don't know like what made this click, but what I started thinking about was in you having worked at a business before, you uh, will have this same thing, I'm sure, was everybody who's worked at a company who's done projects has worked on projects that have either failed or been abandoned or canceled or just left undone, right? Um, and that sucks, right? Yeah. Because in the end of that, you can feel very, you can feel a lot of things and most of those things are negative, right? Other than the relief of like, oh, thank goodness, we don't have to do this anymore, right? Um, but I have worked at, a, I worked at a company once where there were, they were just a stampede of failed projects, just a whole parade of them. Um, and it was, it was nothing that we as the people doing the projects could do to fix it. Right. Right. It was a, it was a higher level problem, but we had to live with it. And so I was reflecting on all those things and how much that sucked. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could create a game that would give people the feeling of doing this thing, right, of building this sandcastle to kind of reflect on the experience of doing these failed projects that probably weren't that fun, um, but trying to figure out, like, trying to help you process that and then turn it around to say, but what could we take away from this? What is positive and, and how could that affect us in the future? Because I, I truly believe that any type of experience like that, while miserable, still can help move you forward in the future and make things less awful, right? The next time around. At least that's that's what I hope. Um, uh, but anyways, so, um, so it's easy to think about explaining that to my kid, right? Because right. inevitably, building the sandcastle, fun. Doing a failed project, not fun. Right, not so fun. So, so that kind of was the hard sell. So what I thought was, I thought I need to do some research because I have my own experiences and I have the experiences of my friends and former coworkers. But so what I did to do research was I put together a survey, like a, a Google survey and I put it out there. And that survey is just asks like six or seven questions to try and get at the heart of like how people felt about this, like, and how do I help them process that and help them find some sort of silver lining, right? And interestingly, like 90% of the people, it was 87 or 88 or 90, I'm rounding, uh, percent of the people have checked uh, the box that said this was a, they were most mad because it was a waste of time. Mm, okay. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, yes, yes, right. A lot of frustration, yeah. Right. And I, I used, I, I gauged how many, I had them gauge approximately how many hours they worked on these projects because obviously the more hours you worked on it, you know, the more uh, rightly uh, justified you are and how upset you are when it doesn't happen, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, if I built a huge sand sculpture for a contest and then the tide washed it away before the contest, I might be miffed about that, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, also, like, I really probably should have thought more about that and maybe the judges should have told me to build it not so close to the ocean, the idiots, but you know what I mean? Um, okay, so that's kind of the setup for all this. So I've started getting feedback from people and I've started getting these surveys filled out. And that research has been enlightening because some of the stuff, it's like, yeah, obvious. But some of the stuff, especially because one of the things I said was, what's one positive takeaway that you can apply to the future? Mm -hmm. And people have actually had stuff, right? And um, so that is helpful for me to think about it that way. Um, but so what I wanted to do was I wanted to kind of bat around some ideas that I have here for how to capture the experience. Um, and I think that the number one thing is whatever the experience it is, it has to be like, it can't just be like, like a, like a game, like best Treehouse ever, right? Great game. Not mocking the game, Jason, uh, Katarski who, uh, designed that game, uh, and published the game. It's a beautiful game, but like in that game, you're building a treehouse, but to build a treehouse, you're just laying out cards, right? right? To make it in the shape of a treehouse, which is super fun. But like in the end, after I score my points, I crush that game and put it back in the box and I don't care. Right. Right. Um, so I, I'm trying to think of a way to make that experience feel painful in a not actual, you know, like in a, I want it to feel, I want you to have, I want it to have weight right. at the end of that game. 
when you destroy what you've made, right? Right, right, right. Um, so let me throw out some ideas that I have here and you tell me um, what, if any of these pop in like or feel evocative to you in that way. Okay. Uh, one was to actually draw a sandcastle like with care, like colored pencils, something to where you're actually like really like drawing this thing, right? Uh, or two, maybe you're stacking cards like a house of cards almost. Maybe you're like slotting the cards together a little bit to make it, right. you know, like a 3D thing. Um, after stacking cards, I wrote, I like stacking cards. <laughs> you take um, notes like I take notes. Right. Uh, it's very stream of consciousness. Another thing was that I could print because I don't plan on doing this as a mass game. I plan on doing this just as a boutique game right. that I would sell very few copies of. And I would mostly be giving them away to teams that hired me to work with them. Right. On You're projects. giving them a print and play basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, except for that I would be printing them. Right, 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 right. Um, and if it's stacking cards or something, I'll get the cards done professionally. But like another thought I had was I have a 3d printer. I could pr 3d print some pieces that possibly cards could slot into to make an interesting shape. Right. So to make card stacking easier, basically like you create these little, these little pieces where the cards slot into, and you kind of make this three dimensional shape, um, that would be never be repeatable. Right. Like right. you could not repeat that same shape. It is unique um based on the way you place your cards that's you know that's how it works um and maybe the cards would be simple it'd be like sand with like you know like little windows cut in and stuff right. like that just like you would maybe sticks sticking out of them for like flags and stuff right um does any of that like jump out at you oh the other well, i want to throw this out was that the building portion must be done by you it has to be personal and I want it to be enjoyable and something you care about. Okay. Is this going to be yeah. in teams or individually? I, I think I'm open to it either way. I want it to definitely be able to be played individually. Um, I, my fear is that like if I get together with my team and we build a thing by stacking stuff, it's a fun experience. And, we're, and that does give you the fun experience portion of it. Right. But in the end, the fact that we're going to throw that away doesn't matter right? right at least it doesn't matter to me now if i did it personally and i built this cool thing and then i had to throw it away without taking a picture of it or anything right that would bother me like that would but maybe that's just me have you considered exquisite corpse i don't know if you know what that is i do how would you so um so for anybody that doesn't know um exquisite corpse and this is how i understand it so this you tell me if i'm understanding correct incorrectly um is the idea that someone starts something, a story, a picture, um, whatever, and then they pass it off to the next person who continues it, uh, and then you keep going around and around, and everyone's right. adding something to it. So in Exquisite Corpse specifically, you fold it like an accordion, and so the person that goes after you oh. can't see what you've done. Oh, Oh so no, you, that I didn't know. So you are able to to like go over the edge a little bit so they know where the connectors are. And I feel like that would that would be both um that would both capture um you know the impermanence of a creation while also having people work in a team. Do you know what I mean? Because some people might be like, "Wow, I haven't drawn anything since college." You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, and it might appeal to them, you know what I mean? But it also might, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I also, you know, I do really dig your card idea as well. Like the idea of everybody building something and having like some heavy card stock that has slots in it. So you can like slot it together. But I think mm -hmm. that, I think that it's important for people to, I, I think that, especially if you're at like a, like a company, I think that, that something like this, it's important to have it be with where they're not just working alone. You know what I mean? Because right, right. let's face it, when you work at a, at a corporation, you're always forced to work with other people. <laughs> it's always a group project. Right, you right, know what I mean? right, right. Is it super mean to be like, so the, say they do this accordion idea. Cause I, I actually think this is, this is pretty cool. They all do it right. They work through it. And then like you basically, cause I'm assuming the end is you unveil it so they can, everybody right. can see, like what has been made and it's like, Oh, this is neat. Um, but then 
to like say, cool, see this, this thing you made and then just like rip it up. Like, oh my that- God. I think you should have a shredder at the front of the room. So that people are like, what's the shredder there for? And then just look them dead in the what's eye the while you for? shred it. Like, now how did that feel? I also actually, one of the things that I was vibing with that you said was, um, you know, this is not a game, but I think a helpful exercise would be, you know, if you got a group together and you were like, Hey, like everybody talk about a project that you worked on that got canceled, right. That never saw Mm -hmm, the light of day, mm -hmm. specifically a project that you enjoyed that you were disappointed about. You know what I mean? That's a good point. Yeah. And then, and then even better. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. No, go keep going. Keep going. Then have them say, have them say one positive thing that they learned from the experience because then you're having them bring up something that gave them pain, but you're also having them say something that like they learned from it that was positive. You know what I mean? So it's almost like not, you're not like, you're obviously not like rewiring their brain, Mm -hmm. but you're like Mm -hmm. having them think about something that's painful in a, in a light that's more positive. Right. Right. And I, I, so I do think that like, a lot of times these types of games that I'm doing with this require some debrief afterwards. Right. So even something like talking through that afterwards, right. I I like doing the game so that they get the game experience without any heavy handedness of like, what did this mean? Why are we doing this? And then afterwards to be able to say, Hey, I've one of the other games that I've got, and I've talked about it on the show before, but I'll I'll just mention it. I, I don't know if I've talked to you about it. It's called opposite is opposite. And it's this word game where you're taking a word and then somebody writes the opposite of that word oh. and then somebody writes the opposite of that word. Mm, and I then like you that. keep going until the last person has written the opposite of the original word in theory. But three people or four people have been between you. Oh, my God. So you've actually written the opposite of several words. You know, and if, it, <laughs> if the words were hot, if it was hot, you'd write cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot. Right. right like it's right, that easy. Right. But the words are like accordion or you know something like something that where there's no obvious opposite thing um and then when it gets to that subjective yeah right so when that last person gets a card and all they have on it is a word that is supposedly the opposite of one of the words on a card you have and you show them a card with six words on it that are within two categories so the words are even relatable like to each other to make it harder um, and then when that happens, um, you then have to guess, right? And what I found working with teams on this is that that teams that communicate well with each other do really well at this game. And teams that don't communicate well do really poorly. Right. And it's because the whole point of the game is you have to think about the fact that the person you are giving information to only has the information you are giving them. Right. And that's a huge flaw in communication that people have in general. Oh, not yeah. thinking about what the other person does or doesn't know. Um, and so like, it's been very enlightening for some of the teams I've worked with and other ones. It's been like, Oh wow. We're just really good at this. And I'm like, yes, you're absolutely this. You are communicating in the right way. Like, keep it up. And they're like, can we play this again? <laughs> so, What's the game called? Opposite is opposite. Opposite is opposite. Okay. So you, that you, that's not like out yet. Like, it's just, I have the game. Like I've made the game. Uh, I just haven't had it printed yet. So okay, I need you to make um, it. I need you to make it. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I hired somebody to help me finish it. And now we're, um, cause the rules all work. I just need to get it, uh, printed. I'm going to do a small print run of it. Um, I but I've, it. I've play tested it with gamers, with companies. Uh, I've used it with a couple different companies, a couple different groups of gamers. And the feedback is super positive. People super enjoy it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, hey, thank you for walking through that with me. Um, yeah, of course. That I, sounds like I a think really I'm, interesting project. I like it a lot. Thanks. Yeah. I think that I'm probably going to try that idea that you had about the exquisite corpse and the accordion folding and such um, and just figure out a way to create that and, and package it nicely uh, to bring it as a experience to people. Um, I probably won't go for the shredder, uh, but I probably will just tear it up Um and because uh, I like the effect of that, like if just being like, oh, oh, so what are we going to? Well, I'm going to tear this up now because uh, I'm confident that at least a couple people will not be comfortable with that. Like right. in, a, in a way that not like I don't want to make people like legit uncomfortable, but yeah. like you want to yeah, make yeah, people yeah. be like, oh, oh, OK. I don't it's gonna care be for like that. that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't like you. 
<laughs> don't like you anymore. Um, Remember that man who ripped up our beautiful sandcastle? Yeah, yeah, I didn't do. Didn't like him. Did not care for him. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but then, you know, then after you do that, that's when you're able to say, hey, I know that this is gone now, but... Like, I, because I promise the experience, unless it's a really awful team who just doesn't like to have fun, they will right. have fun doing it because it's funny, right? Um, yeah. All right. Well, hey, listeners, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Uh, I know I did. Uh, I hope Nicole did as well. She smiled a lot and laughed a lot. So I think she did. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, anyways, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And, uh, if you want to get in touch with this course, you can go to Building Game Podcast dot com you can uh email us to building game podcast at gmail.com find us on twitter at podcast btg at ja slingerland at toits that's t-o-i-t-s you can also of course come back every single week and we hope you do listen to us uh join our discord i forgot that one join our discord you can find that on our website our discord's awesome had a bunch of new people again recently and that's cool uh we'd like to see even more uh but until next time good night Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.